1: Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, Black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, your favorite uncle, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother?
0: Hey, man, I'm doing really well. I'm still feeling good after our PTM Live in Atlanta that was a moment,
1: bro. It was a movie. It was a wave, man. I really enjoyed it. Shout out to everyone. Cornerstone Church, Amina Brown, who was incredible. All the people that we met, V. Howard with the desserts, the entire witness team from Abby to Aaron to Elodie to Bo, Michael McGee, Adam. Man, it was just a huge, a huge moment for us.
0: Yeah, there was so much energy there. Atlanta was great. And of course, I mean, one of the most memorable parts didn't even happen during the recording. It came the next morning.
1: Yeah, so we actually had the opportunity to go to a very special Chick-fil-A buffet because our man Eric um from the Dwarf House buffet up in uh Atlanta actually invited us over. He was at the show with his son and he talked about how the podcast really encouraged him. So he's the owner operator of that store. And it's a breakfast buffet, and y'all, it was good. I ain't, oh like, I ain't lie to you. Oh my goodness, Chick Fil A breakfast buffet. Bro. Like I didn't dude. even
0: know something like that existed. It was amazing,
1: bro. That biscuit, them biscuits and gravy. There's something in them <laughs> biscuits, bro. And then, and then, bro, the bacon was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't want to make you hungry, but the bacon, I'm was sorry, like, it yeah. had a, it had an appropriate like fat to crisp ratio. Like, yeah, it was fresh.
0: It yeah. did some damage, bro. I didn't eat the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, exactly. So shout out to Eric, man. Thank you so much for um, just looking out. And all the PTM listeners who came, showed love, gave us big hugs, encouraged us, man. That just means so much to us. We
0: do have to say, and it may disappoint some West Coast listeners, but unfortunately we have to postpone the LA PTM Live. It's not canceled, but we're looking at a date in the spring.
1: Yeah, LA going to be so mad at us. West Coast already feels like they don't get enough love, so they're going to be really look, upset with
0: us. Look, you're, you're going to get a, a an even better show. We're going to tighten some things up. Energy is going to be all high as we get together again, and it'll be well worth the wait. But yeah, stay tuned make for further to details. Yes, absolutely. Um so we're postponing the L.A. trips, not canceled, but look for us in the spring. Next stop will be D.C. in October. So stay tuned to uh, com. You can get your tickets there and also look for specific dates. And we will let you know via all our social media platforms where the venue is. And we hope to see you all there.
1: So, Jamar, I was getting ready to go off Twitter, man. I was really going to do it and I'm still going to do it. Um, I'm actually doing it with a Group at my church, so it's actually going to be a church wide thing. We go off this okay. this weekend, okay. Um, so we talked about that last night. We got these full, like, little contracts for accountability and little wow, so, yeah. We're going we to do we're going to do the dude, man. But before. Before I got off, man, um <laughs> I see some foolishness going on, bro. Like I see You knew some something had to pop off. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not even looking for anything. Like I'm not on that. I'm not trying to get involved. I'm not trying to thread y'all to death. Like, that's just not who I am. But I saw this meeting, man, and I saw that the president and this current administration decided that they want to meet with some quote unquote inner city pastors. And so you already know, I know the complexion of the people that they're going to meet with um, without them saying it. Right, right. Talk about what they said was prison reform. And then I think some other things too, right?
0: Yeah, it was like a cornucopia of issues, including something called, quote unquote, urban issues, whatever that means. But, you know, typical smorgasbord of issues that, that, supposedly pertain to the black community and these pastors are going to come and give a word from firsthand experience and whatnot. So yeah, you know, the typical kind of let's get black people, black pastors together and talk about black issues. Because according to 45, what do you have to lose?
1: (laughs) You're already going to get me in trouble. Okay. So let me read off some of these names of the people who are at this table. Uh, The first person who set all this up is kind of the senior faith advisor for President Trump, and that's uh, Paula White Kane, um, who pastors New Destiny Christian Center in Florida. Um, Some of the other recognizable names, probably the most recognizable name was uh, Pastor John Gray of Relentless Church, Um, Bishop Daryl Hines, who, full disclosure, I've met and I know him, Um, Bishop Marvin Winans, uh, Pastor Daryl Scott, who's kind of part of the Trump Faith Initiative, uh, Bishop Dale Bonner, um a number of different people um who kind of just flanked the table, but mainly black uh pastors and a few uh, Latino pastors as well. And um so I, I watched the the little clip of the prayer that John Gray gave over the president and then also then sat down and watched kind of the full clip, not really I was kind of multitasking because I couldn't just sit down and watch it without getting upset. So yeah, no doubt. Yeah, man, it was uh it was tough, bro. It it was tough. And I think yeah, it's man. tough for me because of, you know, my proximity to a lot of this circle, you know.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask cuz like you 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 hit me up and said, "Hey, can you record today?" and I was like, "Yo, what's going on?" because I know Tyler's got a bunch of different things going on, and so it's rare for you to just sort of stop everything and say, "We got to record." So, man, I'm really curious like what why is this so heavy? Why is this such a big burden? Uh, to you, this meeting, and, and sort of what's on your mind about it?
1: You know what, Jamar, when I was watching this clip, man, I actually started thinking about one of my favorite TV shows of all time, really one of the greatest TV shows ever made. And it's a show called The Wire. Have you ever seen The Wire, Jamar?
0: <laughs> uh, next question.
1: See, okay, we're we'll praying <laughs> for you. So there's no judgment here, but you need to watch The Wire. So I'll just give you this example of a brilliant scene from The Wire that really just stood out to me. Um, When I was watching this clip, I remembered it. There's this chief gangster in the city where it's being filmed, and his name is Marlo Stanfield. And Marlo comes around in the middle of the series. And so he kind of presents himself as a main antagonist to some of the main drug dealers that we get to know. Um, And he kind of becomes the pursuit of the police that we get to know. It's a very layered drama. So Marlo Stanfield one day is walking to a corner store, convenience store, and he kind of blends in a lot with the people. Like You wouldn't know he was a chief drug dealer. You wouldn't know he was a gangster. You wouldn't know any of that. And Marlo walks into the convenience store and is going to buy a drink. And so he walks past a black security guard who's eyeballing him, whose job it is to maintain order, make sure no one is shoplifting. And as he goes to pay for the drink, He pulls out his money, hands it to the clerk, and then he reaches into a container that's sitting right there and picks up a few lollipops in plain view of the security guard and sticks them in his jacket pocket and then looks at him, clearly just shoplifting, just an act of defiance. So he doesn't pay for them, and then he walks past the security guard on out into the street. And so the security guard, after a few moments of internal conflict, because you know he knows who Marlowe is. After a few moments of internal conflict, shakes his head and follows him outside to the store, outside of the store, to the street. And he basically tries to reason with Marlo. He's like, look, man, look, I understand I'm not trying to come. I'm not trying to be disrespectful of you. I'm not trying to come at you. But I'm just saying, like, you, you just can't do that. You can't do that to me. You can't just look at me and do that. And Marlo's essentially basically like, why can't I? <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? Like, of course I can and so the security guard tries to reason with him, keeps saying that he's not pressing him, but he tries to reason with someone who's basically a sociopath, right? Mm-hmm. Earlier in the series, Marlowe has killed people, killed women, like who tried to double cross him for rival gangs. Like Marlo doesn't care. And so he's trying to reason with him. And Marlowe looks at him, gets in his face and says, and one of my favorite lines ever on television, he looks at him and he says, you want it to be one way. You want it to be one way, but it's the other way. And then he just shakes his head and walks off. Now, what the security guard didn't know was that he had basically signed his death warrant because Marlo yeah. gets a couple of his goons and hitters to come up later and kill the security guard and bury his body where nobody's going to find him. Jamal, when I was watching that clip yesterday, yeah. it was like the president looked around at not just the black people in that room, but the black people who were watching. And he's essentially saying, you want it to be one way, but it's the other way.
0: Damn, bro. In that
1: moment, our president looked like Marlo Stanfield. And those black pastors looked like some powerless security guards who were getting ready to get murdered. Whoa.
0: No, you didn't. Whoa.
1: Y'all want it to be one way. It ain't that way. I'm sorry. No matter how bad you want to do it. No matter how much spiritualized language you want to pull out, no matter how many scriptures you want to throw at us, it ain't that way. No matter how bad you want it to be. That's how I felt when I saw it.
0: So you're saying they were basically powerless.
1: They were powerless. They getting murked. And then what happens? There is instability within our community based upon that.
0: There Not it with is. The White
1: House, but now we arguing amongst each other. And now it can be used against us. Oh, look at this. They can't even meet with someone. Oh, so now you give up on people. Now you dismiss people. Man, it, y'all want it one way. It ain't that way, y'all. It ain't.
0: Oh, man. And you know what? That You bring up such a great point because this is a matter of the witness in terms of how the faith is perceived, even yeah. among black people, even among black Christians. Yeah. And what these kind of meetings do. But, you know, I think a lot of the pastors there would say, well, we, we're we're at the table. We have the president's ear. And so, therefore, we can be an influence. And if you look up across history, right, there are a lot of civil rights leaders who met with people who had political power and tried to influence them there. Are, are you saying this is different?
1: Let me say this. Like, this is very important how the meeting was characterized. Right. So the meeting was titled as the president having a conversation with inner city pastors. Now that language is very important because as I look across that table, there are certain pastors that would qualify as inner city pastors. Very few, I might add, but there are some pastors who would qualify as being in the inner city. But there are a host of other pastors who wouldn't qualify as being inner city church planners or inner city ministry leaders in the least. They're actually suburban megachurch pastors. Watch
0: out. Watch out.
1: And so when when we look at the characterization, this is one thing that we've been saying since day one. And it's one thing that I've been trying to tell people and people do not listen in our context, that the president only knows two ways of referring to black people. He only knows how to tokenize or dehumanize. He only knows how to prop up people who will come and basically kiss his feet. There were no questions allowed in that meeting, by the way. No who way. basically come and, and, and kiss his feet and basically say, it's an honor to be in your presence, or he dehumanizes people. And need we go down the list, Congresswoman <sighs> Maxine Water, need we wow. go down the list, um, um, Black NFL athletes who kneel, who are called SOBs, need we go down the list, Jamel Hill, another Black woman, need we go down the list, uh, The the widow of a fallen Black service member, who basically mm. said, I had this conversation with the president, and then he came on Twitter and said, I, that's not how it happened, essentially mm. calling her a liar. Need we go down the list, people? And so the only two polls he recognizes is tokenization and dehumanization. And if you think it's going to be another way, it ain't. It, 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 when someone has shown you who they are, you got to believe them. And so a lot of people are approaching President Trump as though it's Nathan approaching King David. Now number one they didn't say anything that was a challenge they just basically said it's i'm glad I'm here basically I'm glad I'm in the room but a lot of people think this is King this ain't King David this is Pharaoh you don't approach King David the same way you approach Pharaoh you confront the Egyptian regime it's an empire y'all Dang. so there's only two ways in which they're going to view you tokenization or dehumanization and so when we talk about tables we first got to acknowledge What are the rules of this table? And how are the people who are at this table, who have put this table together, describing me? And if they describe you as inner city, when you know you ain't inner city, then the question is why did they invite you? Do they think you're going to be more amicable to them than others that they could have invited who are actually in the inner city? So that's number one. We got to address what it means when we say inner city. We know what (laughs) they're saying, they're saying black and brown.
0: Yes. And and that actually gets to a bigger reality that we have to acknowledge, right? Like, why is the inner city associated with minorities? It's not happenstance. It's not by accident. There's exactly. racial covenants. There's redlining that people were herded into and concentrated into certain geographic areas. And poverty was concentrated there. And people were systematically excluded from this. Wealthy people And politicians tended to lead the way, but they got co-signed by all kinds of people across the political and economic spectrum. So there's a reason that people so easily associate inner city with poor and black and brown is that way by design. And so it gets to your point that if you're going to sit at the table with people in power, you better be prepared to speak truth to power, And that's what I think was missing from this and so many other similar meetings. Like you said, this is about kissing the ring. Oh, thank you that I'm in this room. Thank you that I'm in your presence. Thank you that for all that you've already done for black people. We haven't even mentioned this yet. But one of the pastors, I think it was Daryl Scott, said this is the most pro-black president in our lifetimes. And that's just the most like head knock against the wall statement that I heard come out of that meeting because it's so not true. Dar- it's so... Well, you know
1: what? I actually think Daryl Scott might have been telling the truth in this regard. Okay. For people, for Black people who are of an upper middle class to wealthy class
0: wow. citizenship...
1: Wow. Wow. ...that gains clout and reputational... um, um, That gains clout and reputational prestige from being in his presence, it may be the best for them. Wow. Because there are people... Who are willing to put you on? He's willing to put you on as long as you genuflect in his presence. Mm. So yeah, maybe it may be the best for Daryl. <laughs> it may be. Yeah, this may be right. the best for you. But if we're talking about our entire community, then the answer is obviously we know what that we know what we're saying there.
0: Yeah, and then and then at what cost, right? Because the tokenization comes with compromise, comes with uh, acquiescing to a certain identity to a certain stance toward the president and toward other black people that, you know, it's hard to describe, but there should be, there's, there's no one single black identity and certainly not all black people need to think alike or have the same political views or anything. I'm not saying any of that, but I do think that on some level there is a solidarity that black people expect of one another through our shared experience of marginalization because of racism right like like that transcends wow. class um you know that's lebron james getting the n-word painted on his gates that's henry lewis gates jr being uh, uh stopped by police trying to get into his house that's all kinds of examples of of famous and, and wealthy people who still experience discrimination of one form or another not to mention uh, the people who don't have the protection of fame or money uh, to yeah, to sort of be LeBron a buffer. James,
1: how is it that LeBron James there gives you go. It, that this is a photo op? How is it there that Steph go. Curry understands that this is a photo op? And and pastors, this is you know what you want to know. What's the craziest thing about this? And, and I want to touch on this a little bit more because this is my tribe. But in in the charismatic world, everything is prophetic. Everything is mystical everything is like yo you yo man you got to discern the spirits you got to be you got to be aware and how is huh. it that y'all got all this discernment for Uh-oh. spirits that we can't see but when something is staring you right in the face you all of a sudden you blind like oh. how does that work <laughs> like how, how does this work how is it that athletes and celebrities got more discernment than the wow. pro- like what is wrong with us man like and it's crazy to me because i think And this is something that needs to be said and addressed, is that charismatic churches, word of faith churches, they hide behind spirit-led rhetoric and shield themselves from accountability. Mm. So they hide behind God told me, and they shield themselves from being challenged. They shield themselves from being confronted. They shield themselves from someone standing up and saying, nah, you are wrong for being in that room. Well, you know what God told me? And so now you shut down the conversation because who's who would dare go against God? When mm. the reality is you've used God to stay away from you use the language of God to stay away from God Himself. Who's gonna hold you accountable for how you use your pulpit and your platform? And that's so, a problem in my tribe, and that's something we gotta address
0: absolutely it's a huge issue and so like my question is what's what's the impact of that this stuff is going on how has it affected the flock that you've seen
1: yeah man look this is crazy because this just happened yesterday and already i've had at least 5 to 7 people who are fringe i would consider themselves fringe like churchgoers like they're they're they they have a root in church But due to the kind of disillusionment of how the church has operated on certain issues, they've kind of pushed away from the institutional church. And so this is why this is important. This is why I'm fired up. You got pastors in rural areas. You got pastors in suburban areas. You got pastors in inner city areas who are trying to tell people, trying to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ as holistic, both personal and systemic both individual and corporate, who is saying the gospel does not just speak to our personal salvation, but it speaks to our lived experience. It speaks to practical matters. It speaks to our politics. It speaks to our money. And we are trying to do that. And, and these pastors who, are represent, who represent the body of Christ stand up and undermine, they didn't stand up, excuse me, sit down and undermine all the work mm-hmm that we are putting in on a weekly, daily basis to convince people that this is not an accurate portrayal. Well, if John Gray got a million some followers on Instagram, well, if he says it, then what? Uh Because people value what they're saying as leaders of our community, as leaders in the body of Christ. And it undermines what we do and it creates confusion. I'm so disappointed. Mm. What does this mean? And these people weren't even necessarily on an angry tip. They were confused. They were like, yo, what is this? Like, explain this to me. Because this dude has said that everybody who comes from certain countries are, are those are S-hole countries. Right. This dude has said that people who come from, who kneel at a national anthem to recognize the dignity of their brothers and sisters, many of them largely motivated by their Christian faith, Mm. are SOBs. Like, what Mm. do you. And my pastor, the person I listen to on television, that's, that's the person who's, what? It's confusion. And so it undermines our witness and it taints the water that we're trying to, to purify with the living water of Christ. And so it's, it's a mess because there are so many ramifications from someone standing up there or someone sitting next to, next to something that is, that is obviously that is obviously being used as a photo op. There's so many ramifications for someone acquiescing to that to that sort of control.
0: And I think there are two other ramifications relatedly. So one, to add a somewhat perhaps controversial wrinkle in terms of the impact, is that Black people in a Black church setting that might listen to some of these pastors and be influenced by them and may even be in those churches— somehow or other, like an event like this, get disillusioned. And then they they sort of overlay that disillusionment on all black churches, on all expressions yes, of Christianity yes, coming yes, from black people. Yes, and then they flee the black church. And they go to, either they go away from the church altogether or sometimes they'll go into predominantly white churches. And I know a lot of people are curious, how do black people end up in these white evangelical churches or X, Y, Z? Well, some of them feel like refugees. Some of them have been hurt by the black church that they knew and are going towards something that looks completely different. And so that's not the only reason by any means that, that black people end up in predominantly white churches. But I've been to plenty of churches that were predominantly white or even multi-ethnic, and a lot of the Black people there had grown up in the Black church of varying kind of traditions, and something had happened, either one event or over the course of time, they're like, there's something wrong here. They attributed it to the Black church rather than just that pastor or that congregation or whatever, and they left, and they ended up somewhere else. So that's one of the impacts, too, that we sort of have to deal with is people can perhaps come away with a negative perception of the Black church in general. And I think the other aspect that, that struck me was, you know, why do certain individuals, certain pastors get invited to these kinds of events? Like what makes them stick out? And it's a form, I think, of the prosperity gospel. Because what makes them stick out is they have large churches, they have a lot of money, they dress well, they seem to have a, a big influence, not only in their own congregation, but on social media platforms. And so it projects this image of effectiveness as a pastor means big means more, means money, means people. And it's not the 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 success of a pastor is not judged on faithfulness, not judged on integrity, not judged on biblical qualifications for what makes an elder. And so it's these flashy folks who I think one of the one of the pastors is is on uh, own TV a, a reality show. Yeah. So what's, what's
1: funny? What's funny about that is, and this is this is not like all of these pastors. I believe that this is a serious matter. But some of these pastors are faithful. Like some of these pastors do what they need to do. Some of these pastors are consistent.
0: That's good. There's yeah,
1: character for them. And others okay. of the pastors build off of a brand. And what's crazy about that is John Gray, he put it out there on Sunday before this meeting, before we knew it was happening, that he didn't care about his brand. You know, it was a clip on Instagram that kind of went semi-viral that his brand is Christ. His brand is the gospel. And then two days later, Hmm. he shows up sitting right next to the president. Now, listen, this is not to be unfair toward Pastor Gray. This Hmm. is just to simply ask, why is that so discordant? Why is it that you didn't care about brand and then you sitting right next to a brand? Like, how does this work? Like, how does this work? And so people are like, well, you know what? We we came to pray. Prayer does not require proximity. That's why it's called prayer. Wow. It does not require me to be in the same room with you. Okay. It does not require me to do that. It does not require me to lay hands on you physically. We believe that prayer is powerful enough to work in your prayer closet or in the president's boardroom, either way. But the reality is you didn't come there just to pray. Then he's like, oh, we came there to listen. Listen to what? Mm. Because the experts weren't in the room. The people who are doing the work weren't in the room. Many of them weren't. Some of those pastors, they are faithful. Some of those pastors, they do consistent work. But the majority of them, they're not really doing prison reform work. And if Mm. they are, y'all show me. Yo, we need to be at the table. Well, let me let me tell y'all something. The tables got rot in the wood. What? You need to throw the table away. The table needs to not be flipped. Flip the tables. No, no, no. Throw it all away.
0: Wow. Bruh, you want one.
1: Listen, um. man, I am. Because I think this is <laughs> this is serious, man. Like, yo, we we need to stop playing games here. We are looking at I'm just going to be honest with you. We are looking at a time when kids who come here seeking asylum with their parents are being thrown in detention centers, in cages, being separated from their parents, being sexually abused, being injected with psychotropic drugs. This is all verifiable information. And if this does not body the body, bother the body of Christ enough for us to stand up and say no more enough, we're not going to act as though everything is cool. We're not going to act as though, oh, well, we're just going to honor the the position. We're just going to honor the title. No, you need to challenge the title with more authority, the same more authority that some of these athletes and celebrities seem to have a great conviction on because they're not intimidated by the money because they got just as much, if not more. But it seems like we who have the Spirit of God on the inside of us are shrinking back and we're intimidated. That when someone says wild things in our presence, we can't stand up and say, no, no, no. And people are like, oh, well, I'm, I'm holding up the bloodstained banner. You know what? The early church would laugh at you because they could get killed for saying this mm. stuff. And we, we not affa- we're afraid to take some hits from the people who are fans of one particular party or another just simply because we won't stand up and speak the truth in a room with the president of the United States. That's fear, man. That's cowardice. Man, where's our courage? And this is the thing. It's a slap in the face to the people who got us here. There are people who did sit in the room. And there are people like Dr. King who said, I can't support this war anymore. Well, you're never being invited back to the White House. Oh, well. So sad. I'm sorry. But I can't stand up here and say, well, your own people are going to push you away. Your own organization is going to censor you. I can't stand up here and say that this war is okay. It's wrong. And at what point does your moral compass, at what point does your commitment to the call of Christ, the holistic gospel, move you in a way that says, I can't let this sit no longer? At what point? If it ain't now, then when? What is it going to take for you?
0: That's a prophetic word, man. And I appreciate you bringing up the fact that there are faithful pastors in the room, right? We don't want to paint with too broad a brush, uh they need to know that they that,
1: and they're gonna defend themselves that's right say, god told me and they're gonna say this is what happened but they need to know that this is sending mixed messages to them let, let me give you an example let me give you an example when people are like what does this look like oh you gotta you gotta be in the room there is a pastor this year who showed us what it looks like to be prophetic and to honor his name is pastor maurice watson the Metropolitan Baptist Church. He's actually one of my favorite preachers. And it's a church in Maryland. And one day the vice president showed up with his wife to their church. This is a historically predominantly black church. So he shows up and Maurice Watson recognizes him. Hey, we're honored to have the vice president of the United States here. The crowd gives a polite clap. But later on, what does he say? He talks about because that week the president had made the comment about S-hole countries and Maurice Watson stands up in front of the vice president of the United States on the front row and said that these dehumanizing and ugly comments, no matter who said them and how they were said, demand an apology. And You know what he said? I stand with the members of this church, many of whom have are immigrants from Haiti, have family members in Haiti and many of whom come from nations within the continent of Africa, I stand with my people. He made a choice in that moment in front of the power, the power sitting right on the front row, red faced, upset, mad, angry, wanting to walk out, but couldn't. And he says, no, no, no. I side with my people. He wasn't angry. He wasn't unhinged. He wasn't out of control. He was respectful, but he called a spade a spade. He called sin, sin. And you telling me these pastors can't stand up and say, nah, 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 nah. Listen, I understand we here, but we're not gonna make reckless comments. I don't, I don't approve of that. That's, That's not right. me. You speaking for yourself yep. right there. Pastor Watson didn't care. He said it doesn't matter if the president, if the vice president gets up and leaves, it doesn't matter if he never comes. But he had to sit here and he had to listen to me affirm the members of my church.
0: He's gonna hear church. My truth.
1: church give me a standing ovation because they know that I'm there with them. It's got to be people over proximity to power, one hundred percent of the time, y'all. That's right. I'm done, and, man. Yo, we need to. Yo, you you finished. I'm <laughs> done. I'm done. That,
0: that was I'm good. Done. You need to keep going. I was just set you up, man. But uh, you 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 said a word there, man. And I think um, when it comes to deciding whether to meet with a controversial figure or in a controversial organization, that has to be the standard. Are you willing to speak truth to power? You don't just go there and co-sign everything or even just sit politely and silently. If you, if you do accept an invitation, then do it to be a voice on behalf of the people who have been silenced. Do it to be a voice on behalf of the people who don't have a seat at the table. Don't do it so that you can ingratiate yourself to the people in power and gain more power yourself. Build your brand. Absolutely. And I think as listeners hear this and they consider their own proximity to power, their own situations, whether it's at a church or a Christian organization or a business, what have you, um, here's my two cents. And this is just Jamar. So take it or leave it. But when I look at people who are trying to be a force for change within organizations, I see one of three things happening. You either, uh, you either get pushed out, you sell out, or you burn out. Uh, let me start with uh, sellout. Mm, talk, so, talk, bro, talk. A lot of times, when you're trying to be a change agent, guess what? Organizations don't move swiftly, and there may even be staunch opposition. And so, when that change doesn't occur, or when you get sort of enamored with the position or the power or the money that you have access to by being within that organization, you will be tempted just to say, well, you know what? Whatever fire I had coming in here, whatever issues that were important to me is not that important. Or, you know, I can see this other perspective and whatnot. And basically, you assimilate. You become more like the organization or the individuals within that organization than someone who's seeking to make a change. So you become part of the status quo. You sell out. Another thing that can happen is you burn out. So a lot of times when you come in there, you've got so much energy, whether it's for racial justice or criminal justice reform or, or just more inclusiveness in general, and you're the one speaking up at the meetings. You're the one uh, passing out books and resources and saying, hey, did you listen to this or you should watch this? You're the one who's trying to sort of carry the entire organization on your shoulders and force a change, but it's not happening, and that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It doesn't mean... Uh, that that, that you didn't have the right ideas, whatever. But you get tired because this is a marathon and you push and you push and you push and nothing changes. You get burnt out. You're human. The last thing that might happen, and this has happened to both of us in various ways, is you get pushed out. So many organizations will only tolerate someone pushing for a change they don't want or pushing for a change at a pace they don't want only for so long. So they'll let you have your, say your piece, they'll let you introduce this project or this strategy. And as long as you're fiddling with the edges, they may tolerate you. But as soon as you start to call out individuals, as soon as you start to speak truth to real power, as soon as you start to disrupt the idols that have taken over in that organization or that institution, that's when you get pushback. And when they push back, if you don't quiet down, if you don't sell out, or if you don't burn out and either be quiet or leave they'll push you out. And this can happen a lot of ways. Yeah. They pass over for a promotion, they mm-hmm. fire you, they don't give you certain opportunities. They just go and So silent. those are the, they go They ra- just go ra- silent. <laughs> yes, that happens often too. Um so those are the things that tend to happen and is one of those that's part of the reason why we're at the witness and past the mic building our own tables because we weren't going to sell out and we know this is a marathon, so we're trying not to burn out. And we've been pushed out in certain cases, but that doesn't mean the struggle is over. We build our own tables. Yeah. We, we we pass the mic so that you can hear our voices. And, man, I just think that's where we are now uh, in a lot of cases. Not every case, but enough cases that, look, if you're in that position of selling out, burning out, or being pushed out, people are here for you. And we are a community in the middle of a wilderness wandering, but we got each other. and We got God. And that's all we need.
1: That's it, man. Yo, every table ain't a good table to be at. You know, don't think that you magic and you're going to come in and change everything because you sat at the table. You know, sit down, be humble and speak truth. And that's all I got.